0: Morning. We are starting a new series, uh, but also part three really of the book of Mark where we have been for uh, some time in the last few months and then back going back to September. So gospel Mark part three, but it's titled The Jesus Revolution as it says on the cover of your bulletin. Last handful of chapters in Mark's gospel. Now the word revolution as uh, most of us would, I think, say, has a wide range of meaning, right? I mean, you can use it in a lot of different ways. The most obvious way, or the first way that comes to mind, I think, for most of us is political revolution. And, you know, uh, we don't have to look very far in our day, uh, almost, I don't even know what's on the cover of the paper today, but it's probably something on there about some area in the world, maybe even in our own country, in a manner of speaking, where there's some sense of revolution so that we're very familiar with that idea, but it comes all the way down to things that are very small as well. I can remember, you know, uh, you know vividly, the first time as, I don't know, a seven or eight-year-old when we had um, breakfast... For dinner, right? Any parents out there do that? I mean, the first time we ever had breakfast for dinner, I thought it was revolutionary, you know? Wow, you can actually have, you know, pancakes for dinner. And I I thought, I just, for the rest of my life, that's what we're going to do. We didn't do that. But when you think about um, revolution, whether it's something, you know, major, like a political revolution, something smaller on uh, our everyday life. Most of them, whatever their size, share one thing in common that I think would be true for the word revolution is that they're challenging the status quo, right? That's really what most revolutions are about. Small, medium, large. They're challenging uh, the status quo, whether that's politically or even on the level of our personal lives. I would say this, maybe most of us would would agree, that we are, as a people... Um, I don't mean Americans, uh, but I would say, you know, as in human beings, for the most part, we are wired to maintain the status quo, right? And what do I mean by that? I mean, keeping things the way that they are. And I think this is true, as I said, in in, in politics, it's true in business, right? We could come up with some examples. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you used to work for Eastman Kodak, right? Or an organization like that, where some people would say, that organization, and a lot of times in business, right? We want to keep things the way that they are, and we have good reasons for that, and we think it's going to last forever, but we're making a mistake. We're wired to keep the status quo in business. We do it, many of us do it in relation. Relationships, right? We hold on to things maybe we shouldn't hold on to, or we resist change and transition. And it's also true for churches, right? Maintaining the status quo, wanting to keep things the way that they are. We use this phrase, you know, common in our culture, you know, sticking with the devil, you know. i never said that to you. And what that essentially means is this it means that we, we stay with something in a relationship. You know, in a particular strategy and business, I mean, you fill in the blank, could be anything. We stick with it, not because it's working so well, not because it's such a, you know, we're so excited about it, not because they're, they're, it's, it's bringing a level of satisfaction, but because sticking with that is a, is, is a more uh, a, a choice for us, a more likely choice for us, a more acceptable choice for us than being willing to risk change in an unknown future, right? We stay with the devil we know. And some of us do that, you know, in, in areas of our lives, our careers, our, our, our marriage. You know, I'm not talking about getting out of your marriage. I'm talking about being willing to risk changes in relationships. But we stick with them, uh, you know, forever, right? Because we are afraid of change, right? But to be in a relationship with Jesus, back to my point here in this series whether it's on the personal level or on the church level, uh, you have to move in, in the other direction, right? I don't know how you could read the Gospels, which we've been looking at for these months, and not appreciate that Jesus Christ is going to challenge the status quo in your life if you're going to stay in a relationship with him. Jesus Christ is going to challenge the status quo in the life of the church if we want to do what it is that God wants us to do. To be in a relationship with Jesus means to move in the other direction. And we look at the ending of the book of Mark, where we are for these six weeks. You're going to see this in very sharp relief. And the first stop on the Jesus revolution uh, is the church itself. Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 25. Let's read it together. Mark 11, 12 through 25 the Jesus revolution, Jesus and religion. The next day, him and his disciples, they were leaving Bethany. Jesus was hungry, and uh, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, kind of odd, may no one ever eat fruit from you again, And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have turned it into something else. You've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered this and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look. The fig tree you cursed is withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their hearts, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your now, Jesus is confronting, obviously, the Jewish faith. This is the Jewish temple. It's Judaism. But guys, remember, <laughs> the Bible, the New Testament, that is, the Gospels were written decades after these events, and they were written for the church. This is a church document. So yes, Jesus is confronting Judaism, but really what Jesus is confronting is religion itself. And the people paying close attention, verse 14, were the disciples, right? Right? that's you and that's me and i would say this of all the institutions that struggle with transition with all the institutions that made of a hard time letting go of the status quo of all the institutions that stick with the devil they know i i would say the church would be at the top of the list as someone who's been in the church business for 20 some years right if anyone has a hard time changing Strangely, uh, it is churches, and Jesus, you're seeing it in, in technicolor in this negative example of Jesus confronting the Old Testament people of God. The first thing it says in this passage, many strange things, right? But the first one I find is, it says, it lets us know in the 13th verse, 12th verse, Jesus was hungry. Now, I don't know any other place where it mentions that. Why tell us that? Jesus was hungry. So what, Right? But it's very clear by the time you finish reading the verses that we are reading that Jesus is, the subject here is not food, right? Jesus is not hungry here for food. What Jesus is hungry for, by the, you know, his actions in the temple, he's hungry for the things of God. And what he's saying is, I've come hungry for the things of God, but I'm not finding them here. And this little, you know, um, parable of sorts or the, the, the cursing of the fig tree becomes a parable. and the, let, me, let me give you the punchline. Fruitless tree, fruitless church, fruitless temple, right? That's what he's saying. Jesus is hungry. He said in John chapter 4, similar story, the disciples want to get him something to eat. And Jesus says, you don't get it. My food is to do the will of God. That's the most important thing for me. That's what wakes me up in the morning. That's what gets me out of the bed. That's what I'm really hungry for. And that's what you ought to be hungry for, Jesus is saying, because it's the only thing that's ever going to bring satisfaction in life is if you commit yourself uh, to the will of God. It's the only thing that will satisfy. So the first point that Jesus is teaching his disciples, verse 14, is this. We need to get hungry For the things of God? Are you hungry for the things of God? Am I hungry for the things of God? Would people say about our church that don't go here, we are hungry for the things of God? I read a study recently that said three out of five students, high school students, graduate from high school and the church on the same day. Three out of five, I should say this better, uh, restate it, church kids graduate from school and church on the same day. Why is that? The reason is the church has stopped being a place where people are hungry for the things of God. The homes of where the kids are coming from, okay, moms and dads, have stopped being a place where people are hungry for the things of God, right? Are you feeding on the things of God? Are you hungry for them in your home? Are we feeding on the things of God? Are we hungry for them in the life of this church? My house shall be called a house of prayer. Is your house a house of prayer? Would someone say that about it? Would someone say about my house? That is, does my life, does my home demonstrate a genuine dependence on God? That's what I'm talking about. Does your house, does this house... Uh, what people call it, a house of prayer. Is your house a place where God is worshipped? Because Jesus is saying, it's not happening here. Cursed be this tree, right? May fruit never be found on you again. Is your house a place where God is worshipped? Is my house a place where God is worshipped? Is this church a place where God is worshipped? Is your house a place where a holy life is pursued Is this a place where a holy life is pursued? Is your house, is our house, to Jesus' first quotation, a place where people who don't know the gospel can experience for the very first time? Because what he says in verse 16, 17, I'm sorry, his first quotation from Isaiah chapter 56 is, listen, my house will be called a house of prayer. Here's the emphasis, for all nations, right? Right? But when I come here, what I'm finding is it's not a place for all nations. Jesus is not upset. We've misinterpreted this passage, some of us, over time. He's not upset because they're selling animals and they're exchanging currency. You couldn't worship in the temple without an animal sacrifice. And you needed a change of currency to do that. Jesus is not upset about the changing of currency. Jesus is upset because the temple has become a member's only club that's why he's upset my house was supposed to be called a house and a prayer for all nations but you have verse 17 made it into something else the nations aren't welcome here anymore essentially there's a sign over this is not welcome all right that's what jesus is upset about churches in america you may know this i think some of you would thinking of your history if you think about your your, your history personal history Churches in America close every single day if you read these kind of things, right? There are, there's a small uh, section of churches that are growing in America. I'm talking about Christian churches. All the other ones, you know, dozens of them are not, and they're closing every single day. Why are they closing? They're not closing because they're not cool. That's not why they're closing. They're closing because the people in them are no longer hungry for the things of God. That's why they're closing. Because there are people in them, including leadership, which is where this message comes to, that is Jesus is speaking here, who, who are, whose commitment to hold on to the past is more important than making sacrifices for the future, right? That's what happens. And little by little, day by day, year by year, the church stops becoming fruitful. And it becomes irrelevant, which is what's happening across our country. Jesus is not cleansing the temple, by the way. We call this the cleansing of the temple, but make no mistake, he's closing it down. They didn't want to kill him, verse 18, because he was a better speaker than the speakers that normally speak there. They wanted to kill him because they understood he was pulling the plug. That's why they wanted to kill him, right? Number one, we need to get hungry for the things of God. The second thing that by way of warning uh, to these disciples verse 14 to us is we need to stop pretending to be some of us believers right that's what Jesus is really saying here stop pretending that you're believers the second quotation and there's two quotations in verse 17 the first one's from Isaiah 56 read it carefully I would encourage you to the whole chapter the second one you have made it a den of robbers is from the book of Jeremiah but let me tell you what he's not saying Right, we're, we're, sometimes we're so casual and quick to make a judgment. And we say, well, I know what he's doing here. What he's doing here is this. They're selling stuff in the temple, the outer court, the court of the Gentiles. They're selling sacrifices. They're exchanging the temple tax. They're getting the right currency. Jesus is saying, listen, don't sell books in the lobby of the church. Don't sell CDs in the lobby of the church. Stop selling you know, donuts in the outside of the church. I've heard that message before. The church is becoming, you know, don't have a bookstore because we're making money. Seems like that's what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. Jesus here is not talking at all about, he's not attacking commerce. He's attacking the hypocrisy of those who are leading, right? Prove that to me, pastor. Let me do that to you. The, The 17th verse robbing God comes out of a passage from Jeremiah where the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to the leaders four or five hundred years earlier who were at the temple. And they had this false security in the temple. They said, God promised to David he'd sit on the throne forever. This temple is a representative of God's power and of his, of his presence. It's going to be here forever and ever. And we believe it's going to be here forever and ever. And it really doesn't matter how we live our lives Monday through Saturday. We can live like hell as long as we come to church on Saturday or church on Sunday. As long as we give our sacrifices, we're in good shape. And the prophet Jeremiah says, or the Lord says through the prophet Jeremiah, you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. It's almost the same message. He said, as a matter of fact, before uh, uh, you know, a, a few more uh, uh, seasons of crops come up, this beautiful temple that you've become so confident, it's gonna be burned to the ground, and it was. But listen to Jeremiah's words. This is where Jesus gets his words. Jeremiah 7, you can turn there or listen. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who come through these gates, doors of the church, to worship to the Lord, verse 9. This is what Jesus is quoting. Will you steal, right? Sixth commandment and murder. Seventh, one of the commandments. The sixth is murder. Will you murder, commit adultery? Seventh commandment. And perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods? First two commandments that you have not known. And then come and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe. Doesn't matter what we've done the other days of the week, right? Safe to do all these detestable things has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you. But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Uh, right? How do we rob God? We don't rob God. They weren't robbing God because they were buying sacrifices. They were robbing God By thinking it didn't matter how they lived their lives As long as they showed up to church on Sunday And they thought as long as they did And threw their money in the plate And showed up two or three times a month They were good with God Jesus overturns the tables Or in overturning the tables He's overturning the entire system Right? That's it The fig tree you cursed is withered Yeah, you're right the temple, it's over, it's done. It's, they're, they're mad at Jesus, not because he's a better teacher. They're mad at Jesus because he's smashing the status quo and with it, it the things that kept these men in power. That's why, verse 18, they wanted to kill him. Now, there's, this, can, this can happen on a personal level too, right? That is, this question of power. You and I want to stay in power in our own lives and we will do almost anything to not give God what is his due. What is God's due? 1 Corinthians 6. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. Therefore, honor God with your life, with your body, with your money, with your mind, with your life. And when you don't do that, Forget about Sunday. I'm talking about your whole life. When you don't do that, when you do not honor God with your body, when you do not honor God with your mind, when you do not honor God with your money, you're robbing God. That's what Jesus is talking about. And when that happens for enough of us, Jesus says, Ichabod, and says, I'm pulling the plug because my house was originally designed to be for all nations, all colors, all colors all races, all backgrounds, all kinds of people. That's what it was supposed to be. And it ain't working anymore. So we're pulling the plug, right? And that can happen on the individual level as well. My life can wither. Your life can wither. The church can wither. You rob God when you don't. Give him all of your life. Like you, all of us, we experienced this storm this week, right? This Wednesday. And I know some of you still don't have power in your house. I talked to you this morning. I was fortunate enough not to lose power uh, at all, but I will tell you that I almost lost my life. I was coming back, maybe some of you too, I flew in from uh, Philadelphia. I was in Peru, which I'll talk about a little bit next week, my trip to Peru. Um, but I, I came in right in the heat of it, or in the height of it, I should say, about one o'clock, you know, 81-mile-an-hour wind. I said I was in the very back of a small jet, and I sat there. I would say, it's not, a, it's not a few seconds of turbulence. I would say about, from halfway to Philadelphia to Rochester and Syracuse, about an hour total, of very turbulent air flight. F2, two aborted landings before we finally landed the plane. And I, I'm someone who loves to fly. I'd fly almost anywhere instead of drive. And let me tell you something. You ne- all of us could lose our life at any day we know that, right? But there's a few times in life where you actually know, right? You're about to lose your life, right? Because of, you know, you know a diagnosis or or you can you know, the car's coming at you or whatever. This was one of those times for me. And I, I had some time, you know, within that hour where I'm telling you, here I'm a, a pastor and, you know, a, a Christian, and right, I should be, you know, I'm good to go, you know. Let's, uh, you know, uh, I, 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 I spent most of that hour really, you know, just, just praying very hard Uh you say, for the people on that plane, not so much. You know, you know I mean, maybe a minute or two, okay? But I, I was really just praying. I mean, I literally thought this could, not for sure, this could be the end. And I, I, but I made it, obviously, and I, I was texting with a friend of mine on the bus home. They bused, we ended up in Syracuse. And this friend who knows me well said, let me ask you a question. It's all over text. He goes, what was it like? What was the last couple of minutes? What did you do with your time? And I said to him, I prayed basically, that's what I said to him, a kind of a cleansing prayer. And he texts back, this is a funny thing about text, right? He texts back and he says, cleansing? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark. Like, tell all, I won't tell anybody, you know? <laughs> What, what's the big secret sin that, you know, uh, that you've been holding back, cleansing? And I said to him, it wasn't a secret sin. I said, it was more like a, a letting go, I said, of the things that I said most preoccupy me. And I, he, he said, what are those? And I said, the church, you know, pastor, right? My performance, generally speaking and i said a few you know unmet desires in my life those are the three things i said and i said it was as if i was saying god take me before you take me right that was my prayer and i think anything short of that is what jesus is talking about here right that's what it means to rob god you were bought with a price i was bought with a price Therefore, glorify God with your body. Listen, there is nobody who's more interested in seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ vis-a-vis this church, nobody, than God himself, right? Nobody. The question is, are we open to the change and are we willing to get out of the way? The number one reason, you can think about your own testimony, the number one reason that people, probably all of you, if not most of you, came to faith in Jesus Christ, but the, most, the number one reason, they've, they've done studies for 100 years, as long as they've been doing this, or why people will come to a church like this is not the music, it's not the preaching, it's not the coffee. That's not the number one reason by a country mile. The number one reason people may come to your home for a dinner, conversation or come to a church service like this one is the quality of the relationship of the person who invites them that's the reason and i think what jesus is saying listen if god doesn't have all of you if you're robbing god and you're not really living a surrendered life you're you're basically a fake believer in a manner of speaking then people are not going to come to jesus right And if the church as a whole becomes like that, if we become so committed to the status quo, whether it's keeping things the way we like them or keeping our lives at a half um, surrender to God, then Jesus at some point just says, let's pull the plug, right? He said to this tree, may there never be fruit on you again, right? That can happen. Let me tell you something. It's happening to churches all over this country now. Read books on this. It's not hypothetical. And it can happen in individual lives. It can happen in my life. It can happen in your life. Is our church, here's the question, a place where today's spiritually hungry can meet God? Is our church a place where today's spiritually hungry, that's what Jesus is saying, can meet God? Well, number one, We need to get hungry for the things of God. It has to begin with us. Number two, we need to stop pretending, some of us, that we're believers. And lastly, this is how this passage ends. It's a a challenge. Let's build a church for people who don't have one. That's really where this passage ends. You don't realize it all in the moment. But in this moment, Jesus closed down the thousand-year-old temple. He said, closed for business and Peter says Lord the fig tree you cursed is withered." this is what you're supposed to read the temple you're going to shut it down literally within about 20 years or so the whole thing was burned to the ground and it has never been resurrected for 2000 you swear part of the Jerusalem the Wailing Wall blah blah, blah right they've never reconstructed it in 2,000 years, right here is where it stops. And Peter basically says, now what? And this is what Jesus says in the 23rd and 24th verse, right? Let's build a new organization. And he says, listen, let's build something new. And there's only going to be one requirement in the new organization. One. One. No sacrifices, no special building, no special clothes, no special background. Don't care what your genealogy is. Don't care what the skin color is. Don't care what your background is. I don't care if you know the Bible. In fact, it's better if you don't know it because if you're learning from these guys, they're not teaching it the right way, really. In my father's house, is supposed to be a call, a house of prayer for all nations. You got it wrong. You've turned it into something else. Better if you don't know anything. The only requirement, you need to have faith in God. Peter's worried says, have faith in God. It needs to be the kind of faith that can overcome insurmountable odds, right? Go throw yourself, if, if, if you have the kind of faith, now watch this in verse 23. I Truly, I tell you, if anyone, you don't realize how big this is because we're, you know, we're not living in this moment. If any, he doesn't say Jewish person. He doesn't say religious person. He doesn't say one of the twelve tribes of he says, listen, if anyone, I don't care who you are, I don't care what tribe you're from, I don't care what religion you're from, I don't, care. I don't care who you are. You might be the Charles Manson of the ancient Near East. Anyone says that was willing to believe in me, they can have they can have an insurmountable faith that is sustained by grace, verses 23 and 24, and that is characterized by forgiveness. This is the church we want to build. Let me just say this to you guys. We talk about the REACH initiative. We've been talking about it for months. The REACH initiative is not a capital campaign. It's essentially a commitment or a recommitment of wanting to be this kind of church in our community for the next season of its development that's basically what it is right do we want to be a kind of church where today's spiritually hungry can meet god or do we want to simply stay comfortable stay okay keep things the way that they are um and ride this thing out that's really what it's all about back of your bulletin right In what ways is God calling us to change as a church? This is a warning, right? The Jesus Revolution is about starting a different kind of organization. What are some of the things to think about, even from this passage, very quickly? What does this passage say to us? Number one, it begins with us in this room, right? It's about our own faith commitment. Are you hungry? Listen, if you're not hungry for the things of God, right? Why would my neighbor want to come to church? Why would they want to care? If they look at my life and say, you're not really hungry, right? You're robbing God, right, Ben? You're just someone who wants to, you know, you know, pay your temple tax. But you don't live any different, right? I'll do all these detestable practices, and I'll just show up on church. No wonder people don't want to come to church, right? So it has to begin with us. We need to get hungry for the things of God. What does that mean Practically. You know, on average, right now, you've heard, I think Pete might have said this last week, or I've said it before. On average, committed Christians come to church two times a month, right? I'm not saying you get points with God to come to church. But, in other words, are you hungry for the things of God, or are you robbing God, right? Start with something very simple, reading God's word, showing up in church. Are you involved in a, in a group of other people, we call it a small group, where you're being held accountable And people are praying for you and praying you're praying for them. Are you involved? Belong. Are you serving? Right? Are you serving? I mean, in other words, are you in touch with the nations? Are you doing anything? Locally, globally, neighborhood, where you're actually engaging other people with the gospel? Right? Are you serving? Am I? I serving. Begins with us. Second, are you praying? Right? Twice, he says in this passage, and then, and then again at the, in, in the new vision of the, the last paragraph. My house shall be called a house of prayer. When you stand praying, are you praying today? Answer this question for yourself. For even a single person who's not a, who's not a Christian, friend, relative, neighbor, enemy, do you, do, you, do, you even, do you have a prayer life at all? Are you praying for lost people at all, right? If you're not praying, it's probably a reflection that you don't care, that I don't care. Are you praying, right? We're gonna have prayer meetings. Preparing for Easter, just an opportunity uh, the, uh, in, the, uh, in the first three Saturdays of April. Right there in the lobby, 30 minutes, no, uh, you know, no frills. Let's pray for lost people. Are you doing that? Are we removing barriers, third, that are keeping people out of your life, of your home, and of the church? That's what the reach initiative is. What are the barriers? What's keeping people out of asking me? Be always ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope that's within. When's the last time someone, your neighbor, your friend, your 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 cube mate, your office mate, asked you anything about Jesus Christ, about your faith, about your decisions? Right? Or are you robbing God and they wouldn't think to ask you or ask me? Are we removing any barriers? And lastly, what do we need to start doing that we're not doing now to reach people? Right? That's what a church needs to ask itself because if you don't ask those questions and answer them courageously, let me tell you what happens. You end up at a point where you've actually no longer serving the purpose that you were intended as a church. That's what Jesus is saying, right? This is not the cleansing of the temple. It's a misnomer. It's the closing down of the temple, right? And churches are closing all over our country. Some of you did uh, the, the uh, whatever you call it, the, the um, survey that we closed last week. And here's many things we learned there, but here's one thing we learned. There's a whole group of people. Let's call them young adults, who are not being reached at all by this church. Let's call it 18 to 30, virtually not all, but virtually. I see a couple in the room, thank God, virtually untouched. That's that's a problem. Are we willing to do whatever it takes to solve that problem? Is the question. Do you know this is a statistic? I didn't. uh, uh, If statistics can be believed. 87% 87% of all people that become Christians, I mean, personal faith in Jesus, right? not religion, but true faith in Jesus, 87% of all people who become faith in Jesus do so before the age of 21. Wow. If that's even close to true, what are we doing to reach some of those people? I mean, we talk about the, the smartphone, right? I mean, I have one. I'm not a millennial or whatever. Uh, anyone that's in that age bracket, I would be willing to say 99% of all people between 18 and 30 live on this thing three hours a day or more. High school students, verse eight. I read this in an article recently. Between the ages of 14 and 18, 81, 84%, 84% of all high school students, 14, 15, 16, 17, have one of these. Now, why am I saying that? All I'm saying is this. It doesn't change the gospel. It doesn't change the truth. But it does say we need to think about how we're communicating that truth, right? Are we willing to remove barriers, number one? And two, are we willing to do things that we're not doing now to make the gospel accessible? My house shall be called a house of prayer, not for religious people not for second generation Christians only not for white people not for black fill in the blank for everybody for everybody let's build a church for people who don't have one that's what Jesus is saying here amen All right, stand with me let's close couple things as we close one Pete did a great job again Karen mentioned this 365. If you, if you haven't got into um, the renewed 365, I'd encourage you to do that. You can sign up, but this is the reading schedule for the next uh, couple months. But also, you got one of these when you walked in. And this is a, uh, just a reminder uh, about the congregational meeting a week from Tuesday. And the REACH Initiative has many component parts. Some facility some mission uh, uh, initiative, and we're going to, first of all, we want to keep you updated throughout the year, but we're going to give you an update on everything uh, on Tuesday, the 21st of March, but there's going to be a major first lever to pull transaction uh, that we are going to do some serious work, and we, many of you have already given us your money, uh, so that's, uh, without that, we could not do this or are giving your money, and, uh, but now we need your permission to take the first big step forward. So we've outlined some of this here because we want you to know, full disclosure, where we're going and we need you to be here on the 21st. Be praying and, uh, you know, um, let's build a church for people who don't have one. Let's